0: Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. I trust that you are all well rested after the NAS nice hour change, unless you have uh, kids or animals, and then I'm sure you got the same amount of sleep as you always get, because uh, I don't really care what the clock has to say. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. Uh, if you brought your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to go ahead and open up there. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. We'll be there shortly. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that scripture will be on the screen behind me probably also find a pew Bible somewhere around you if you would like to read out of one of those. So in our, uh, my generation and and younger, I guess, vernacular today, there's this uh, thing called FOMO, which some of you may have heard of, which basically is the fear of missing out. Uh, It's something that is beyond time or beyond generation, really. Uh, That fear of being left on the outside looking in, I think that's a, a fear that All of us probably had uh, at an early age, and most of us probably haven't gotten rid of completely, uh, in that uh, there's a lot of things that we might want, uh, kind of want, but when we see other people enjoying them, there's something within us, greed or materialism or whatever it might be, that wants them even more, right? Right? Uh, I can remember when uh, uh this was several years ago uh, before we moved here, uh, I was a big David Crowder band fan, st- still am, but even more so then uh, and they were in Abilene in the area uh, and I had tickets to go see them had them for a while, and then something came up i don 't remember if it was school related or church related or what, uh, but I remember something it might have even been family related uh, whatever it was came up, and i wasn 't able to attend that concert and it 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 wasn 't fun. I wasn't happy about the fact that I was going to miss this, uh, but I didn't want the tickets to go to waste. Uh, so we gave them to a couple of uh, people in our church. And while I was happy for them, when they came back and told me the story of the concert, um, I couldn't enjoy it as much as I wished that I could have. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, because I was thinking how awesome it would have been to be there. Those of you, if there's anybody in the audience that's a David Crowder Band fan uh, concert, or excuse me, a David Crowder Band fan, if there's any of you that are, uh, this was around the time that the song Forever and Ever came out. Uh, they had, were doing this thing live on stage where they took a Guitar Hero, which is a, a video game, uh, they took the controller and actually programmed it to actually play a song live on stage, uh, and they were telling me about this and how their drummer had programmed uh, a little robot drummer that actually drummed along, uh, and it was this this cool thing that I wish I could have witnessed uh, myself, but I didn't get to. Instead, uh, I got to hear about it third-hand or second-hand, however you want to put that. It's a fear of missing out, I think, that all of us can identify with. It's even harder, though, to be left out of something when you're told that you aren't allowed to be in because of some non-merit-based reason. If you're a child uh, or you're in uh, school, teenager, whatever, and you didn't make the honor roll, you might wish that you could have made it if you had an 88 on your report card and that was the only B, but at least there's something in your head that says, okay, that's just, that's fair, I didn't make the grade that I was supposed to, so I don't get to be in that A honor roll party. But when you are told that you can't be in a certain group because of nothing that you did or didn't do, but simply because of some inherent quality about you, that strikes a different chord, doesn't it? If you can remember, again, going back to your childhood, uh, you could probably remember groups of boys and girls would sometimes close the door and and put on their clubhouse or or on their, their bedroom door, no girls allowed or no boys allowed, where other people, based on something they couldn't change about themselves, were unable to actually be a part of that group. And when you take that to the big societal level with big, much more difficult problems to address, but ones that do need to be addressed, we have laws in our country to prohibit that kind of behavior, don't we? We have civil rights laws, where if you run a secular institution that runs a for-profit business, you cannot, when you are looking to hire someone, discriminate on the basis of certain protected classes, right? Gender, religion, age, race, and and probably some other things that I can't think of right now, but there are certain reasons that you can't put for a hiring or not hiring based on those rights. And if you violate those rights, if it becomes clear to the government that you didn't hire someone because they didn't fit in that group, or you did hire someone just because they're this particular kind of person, then that will come back to buy you and you will be held responsible. Your business will suffer. We have laws to protect against that kind of missing out based on something we can't change about ourselves and our country. Because we as a country, we as a people realize that that kind of treatment of other people based on something they can't change about themselves is not fair. And so we stipulate in our code of law that we should treat people fairly, not based on those issues. What do we do in our lives when things aren't fair? What do you do when you miss out for a reason that does not seem legit, for a reason that does not seem just or fair? What do you do when you are on the outside looking in, when it really makes no sense to you why you're on the outside in the first place? And it certainly doesn't seem fair. This morning, we're going to look at another one of the heroines that we're looking throughout this series that we're calling heroines, who sat in that position, who was on the outside looking in, as many of the heroines that we study are, virtually all of them to some degree or another, on the outside looking in. But this woman in particular places herself, or is placed through the culture around her and through the narrative, in this position. It's one of the more interesting passages uh, in the Gospels in that Jesus seems to take and strike a tone that we don't really see elsewhere in the Gospels. Now, I think there's a reason for that, but this passage has always intrigued me for that reason. So again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, going to look at an anonymous Canaanite woman uh, and see how her response to being on the outside looking in can inform the way we think about barriers and faith today. Before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and God, we thank you for you being present through your Holy Spirit this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be included in your body, to be a part of your church as we sing worship and praise back to you and amongst each other. God, we pray that all that we do here glorifies you and we do everything that we do here thankful for the fact that we get to be included. Not based on anything we've done, but solely based on who you are and what you have done for us. God, we give you praise and honor and glory for that fact. God, we ask now that you would remove distraction from us. God, that you would calm our minds after a busy week. God, that you would uh, allow even the distraction of feeling an hour off on our schedule, God, to fade into the background and help us focus solely on your word and what you have to teach us through your word this morning. God, remove my flesh, my own failures, and help us see solely what you have for us. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Again, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, from that region, came out and was crying, "'Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon.' But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, "'Send her away, for she is crying out after us.' He answered, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.' Jesus often withdrew after tense interactions with the Pharisees and others or simply to to pull away from ever-increasing popularity for some privacy, sometimes by himself and sometimes like in this situation with the 12. So he retreats into a Gentile environment, maybe where he's a little less known in the regions of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were on the coast of the Mediterranean, northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And while there were certainly Jewish populations within these two cities and in the area around them, it was particularly a Gentile location, a Gentile region. And so before we get too worked up about the tone that Jesus seems to strike with this Canaanite woman, we need to recognize that even going in this direction, going in this location shows Jesus' openness to the Gentiles, that he wasn't running away from them. right, so we need to get that out of the way first and then when he retreats uh, in in Mark's telling of the story there is a but here Uh, and he actually goes into a house uh, to try to to try to retreat away from the business away from uh, the Pharisees away from all the people following him whatever it might be just trying to pull away but in that moment this woman comes up and kind of interrupts that solitude interrupts that retreat Matthew tells us that she is a Canaanite woman Mark actually makes it more specific. she is a Syrophoenician woman, a Greek woman. Uh, and, and, and that's really just kind of telling us more of the location, that she's from this area. Matthew wants to focus on this word Canaanite, though, a Canaanite from the area. So they're both talking about the same woman, describing her in different ways. And the reason why I think that it's important that Matthew uses the word Canaanite in that You've heard about the the people groups of the New Testament that would be detestable to the Jewish people. Samaritans is usually the one that we think of because of the story of the good Samaritan. But Canaanite might trump them all because Canaanite... If you know the story of the Old Testament, if you know the story of Scripture, there's a little bit of a history there, right, going all the way back. These were the original inhabitants of the Promised Land that God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, and and God promised all of His descendants from that point forward. uh, The the original inhabitants of the land that Joshua and and, and, and when Israel finally went into the Promised Land uh, were supposed to remove the original inhabitants of the land. That during the period of the Judges, the people did remove and. corrupted allowed themselves to be corrupted by following after canaanite gods the canaanites had been a problem for the jewish people from their very beginnings and so that this one was a canaanite woman shows that she is she is as gentile as you can get she is gentile of gentiles original gentile og gentile she is as old of a gentile as it gets And so she is the perfect example of what a Gentile, what someone on the outside looking in, would look like to someone in Jesus' day. Even going this direction, though, again, shows Jesus' openness to this Gentile woman. But there is something about this Gentile woman. She seems to know who Jesus is She cries out to him, a cry that you'll find several places in the New Testament. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She indicates him as the Messiah with that title. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So not only does she indicate by that title, O Lord, son of David, that he is the Messiah, she also indicates that she believes something about this man, about this Messiah, about his ability. About his ability to heal. About his ability to heal even demonic possessions power over the forces of evil she recognizes something about jesus and so she comes to him with this response and at first again this doesn't make sense at first glance but move with me at first the entire group including jesus himself are quiet they ignore the woman's cries for help with her demon-possessed daughter after ignoring, the disciples get annoyed because she's not leaving them alone. The disciples always seem to kind of have this attitude, don't they? They get annoyed with the woman crying out, and they basically say to Jesus, can you do something about her? Can you just do something about this woman? almost hear them saying, can you just heal her so she'll leave us alone? You know what I'm talking about. I know we can't identify with that at all. Maybe we're pursued by someone asking something from us, and maybe, just maybe, within our Our wealth, our privilege, we might think to ourselves, I'm just going to give him five bucks so he'll leave me alone. I kind of see the disciples saying the same thing about this woman. Can you just give her what she wants so she'll leave us alone? She's crying out. This isn't restful, right? We're we're, we're pulling away to get away from the crowds, to get away from those people who are violently, or are about to at least violently oppose us. This isn't helping. This isn't a vacation. Can you just tell her to leave us alone? Just take care of her so she'll go away. And Jesus responds, and it's kind of left open in Matthew, responding to the woman, responding to the disciples, maybe both. He responds to them not in the way that if we know the other stories of Jesus that any of us would imagine if we were reading through this for the first time. He responds, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If your response reading through this for the first time is, wait, what? What, What? Jesus? What do you mean? This woman is in need. Why aren't you addressing that need? It's because you've read other gospels and you've read other places when people cry out for Jesus and he heals them. It's because you've read this gospel, Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to go back very far to where Jesus actually heals a Gentile centurion, right? Matthew chapter 8, you find a very similar story, one that echoes this story in a lot of ways, and we'll talk about that here more in a minute. But it seems anti-Jesus in a way for him to respond in this way. Now, once again, we can find some solace in the fact that he's even willing to speak to her. He could have just kept ignoring her, but he doesn't. The disciples just wanted to shoo her away, but Jesus actually addresses the woman. But at the same time, we have to recognize scripture for what it is. So let me present you two different statements of Jesus. If you look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, you will find Jesus sending the 12 out. And when he sends them out, he says, here's what you're supposed to do. Don't bother with the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentiles. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is who Jesus tells the 12 to go out to when he sends them out in Matthew chapter 10. However, at the end of the story, a scripture you all probably know well, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, 19 in particular, Jesus says that we are, when we are sent out, when he sends everybody out, that we are called to go and make disciples of whom? All nations. He doesn't, he no longer relegates it to a particular people. Instead, he opens the door to everyone, which was the, the trajectory of Jesus' interaction with the apostles all along. The time for the Gentiles was coming, but the earthly Jesus, as Paul even echoes throughout his epistles, came first for Israel. And that flies in the face of our Gentile mindset, probably. It flies in the face of us non Jews. It's something that still, I think we still struggle to come to terms with that Jesus came first to the Jews. I think every now and then we need a reminder that Jesus was a Jewish. Messiah, a Jewish man who came first to find the lost sheep of the house of Israel with whom God had millennia long relationship at this point when he comes to Jesus, when he comes through Jesus to manifest himself to the entire world. Now he's fixing to throw all of that on its head and open himself, open the gates up to all nations, but he came first to Israel. Just as Paul, when he would go somewhere, would go first to the synagogue, right? They would start with the lost house of the sheep of Israel, and even the missionary to the Gentiles himself would start there and then open it up to the Gentiles. This is the way that the gospel unfolds throughout the telling of the, of the story of the Old and New Testaments. But if you're looking at this and you're thinking, Man, Jesus, that's harsh. Let me put it this way. If your your interpretation of the passage is that Jesus is rude, your interpretation needs work. You're missing the point. Uh, you've, You've ignored the rest of Scripture. You've ignored the rest of the Gospels in particular. Jesus is certainly not rude, and we'll get to that here in a minute. The woman, though, tries again after Jesus tells her that he came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She takes this time a worshipful stance, kneeling before Jesus and begs him to help her again. She doesn't rebut his statement. She doesn't say, no, Jesus, you're wrong. She just comes back and says, Lord, help me. That's all she asked for, humbly and boldly at the same time. Jesus responds by looking even worse, again, at first glance, saying something even stronger when he gives what's probably a cliche for the day and calls the woman a dog. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. This is one of those passages where you say, what in the world do we do with that? Jesus calling some unknown Canaanite woman a dog. Now, here is the struggle. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to the struggle in a minute, okay? I want to finish the rest of the story first. The woman doesn't give up, despite Jesus' answer. Instead, she boldly and skillfully turns the cliche in her favor and replies, yes. Again, no rebuttal of Jesus' statement. No argument with the fact that he came to the Jews first. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs, right? Even the dogs get the crumb that drops beneath the children's feet. And in this, she actually echoes Israel's mission from its very beginning, Going all the way back to Genesis 12 when God told Abraham that he would bless him and make his descendants as numerous as the sand on the shore, the stars in the sky in part so that he, that his people, his nation would bless all the nations of the world. This was the original mission. And so she gets that. She understands that with her being an anonymous Canaanite, Syrophoenician, Greek-speaking woman. She seems to get this reality better than the 12 guys who are following Jesus around. She knew what Jesus was capable of. And she wasn't going to let him go without getting the healing that she came for. Now, don't interpret me saying anything like name it and claim it ideology, or we can manipulate God into giving us what we want. What I want you to see is her bold pursuit of a savior she knew was capable of healing her. She wasn't going to go until she got the blessing that she came for. Does that sound similar to anyone in Old Testament history? There was this guy, his actual name was Israel. At least that's what it got changed to. That if you remember the story of Jacob wrestling the angel of the Lord overnight, he would not let him go until he blessed him. This woman, in a way, encapsulates who Israel is supposed to be. Even though she is as un-Israel as you can get, she would not let the situation go without getting the healing for her daughter that she so desperately needed. Is our faith, church, is our faith strong enough to pursue Jesus no matter what stands in the way? Is your faith strong enough to pursue Jesus no matter what stands in the way? After her bold turn of the cliche, Jesus heals the woman's daughter immediately. And he does so on his own proclamation based upon her great faith. Here's a wonderful little thing of context if you read scripture all together instead of in little snippets. There's a story not long before this one in Matthew chapter 14 about Jesus walking on the water, Peter walking out to meet him, him beginning to sink, and Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. In very close context to this very story, a Canaanite woman, an anonymous Gentile of Gentile woman, being told by Jesus, Your great faith is what is going to deliver this healing. And her daughter was healed instantly. Instantly. And this, again, connects us back with the story in Matthew 8 of Jesus healing the son of the centurion. Because it says in that same way, the centurion said, you don't have to come. You know, I order men around just like you do. And so if you just say it, it will be so. And the man's son was healed instantly. And so we have two stories in Matthew chapter 8 and in Matthew chapter 15 of Jesus reaching out to the Gentiles. And upon their great faith, if you go back and you read that story, Jesus finds that Gentiles' faith remarkable as well. He doesn't use the word great. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, the only time that someone has had to have great faith is this woman right here, this anonymous Canaanite woman. But Jesus sees two remarkable faiths within Gentile people. And because of their response, even though he was sent primarily in his earthly ministry to the lost sheep of the house of Israel... In their response, in their great faith, he extends healing because there are no outsiders to Jesus' healing. There are no outsiders to Jesus' healing. No matter what cliches get used, no matter what culture might dictate, no matter what seems proper or what seems right by those who have the healing to give, no matter what seems right by those who control everything that everybody else wants to control, those who get to to enjoy being an insider while other people are looking on, no matter what anyone thinks or anyone says, there are no outsiders to Jesus' healing. So let's back up. Why does Jesus seem so rude in this passage? Unfortunately, we don't get to see in Jesus' mind. Matthew's not narrating that. Nor do we get to see the facial expressions and or the body language that Jesus might have been conveying in this moment. Some scholars trying to to give an out to this passage and the difficulty that it presents will will think that Jesus was being tongue-in-cheek. And that's possible. We don't know because we don't get to read those sorts of things. This is not narrated as, a, as a, 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 you know, a deeply detailed fictional writer would in 2019. We don't see it narrated in the same way where we see a Jesus smirk or him smile or him look, at the, look at the apostles and say, "Right, I'm only supposed to come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel like these guys, the ones who want you to run away. And maybe even after she comes again, he says, "But and you can imagine it, right? You can imagine him smiling and, and quoting a cliche that everybody there would have known. I can't give to the dogs that I'm supposed to give to the children. And so maybe that's the way that some people take it, to kind of soften this language of Jesus. Or... We also can't know for sure whether Jesus was simply restating in the known cliché, offensive though it may have been, to illustrate a larger point to the twelve, to show them how uh, backwards their mindset, the cliché itself, the, the thought that there were outsiders when he was coming to make everyone an insider, how backwards that thought might have been. Maybe that's what Jesus was doing. And there is some context in Matthew 15 itself to kind of maybe push things that direction. Uh, Not long before this passage, we see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and condemning them for following tradition rather than the word of God. Even to the point of, uh, of, of, of basically disowning those in their family who are in need because of their desire to follow tradition. And so he says, you follow the ways of men, but you do not follow the ways of God. Very close context to this story. And so maybe that's what is being got at by Matthew, conveying this story of Jesus and these words of Jesus. But... Anytime I find something I don't know, I think about what I do know. And what we do know is that, A, it is clearly factual that salvation came to Israel first and then to the Gentiles. That Jesus is not stepping out of bounds by saying that because that is salvation history, how it works throughout the span of human history in the Old and New Testaments. And we can also know from the testimony of the Gospels as a whole that Jesus treated all people, even the Gentiles, even the least of these, with warmth and compassion. Again, if your interpretation of this passage is that Jesus is rude, you have taken this one passage out, set it over here, and thrown the rest of the Gospels away. You have missed the fact that Jesus is a man of compassion and love and reaching out to the outsiders and bringing them inside the faith. It happens over and over and over again throughout the stories of the Gospels. Whatever Jesus' reason, though, whatever his reason for hesitating, to grant the woman her request, he relents from his hesitation or apparent hesitation because of her great faith and heals the woman, or heals the woman's daughter, I should say, immediately. Jesus brings the end goal at least for the moment, into the present. And again, this is another theme we see throughout Scripture, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is already among you, Jesus tells us elsewhere in the Gospels. And so we can see the ultimate fulfillment of what things are supposed to be like when everyone will be insiders, when the Gentiles will be welcomed in. Doesn't fully happen until after Jesus' death, really until things get going on Pentecost. It doesn't really happen until then. And we see Paul and others reach out to the world around them to bring the outsiders in. But in this moment, we see it temporarily. If If it's just temporarily, we see it temporarily in the moment of Jesus bringing that forward thing into the present so that this woman might experience the salvation of Jesus Christ so that she might experience the healing that only God can bring because there are no outsiders when Jesus is the one doing the welcoming. Jesus brings the ending into the present. He makes the not yet already. He makes our future healing something we can appreciate today. And what we see in this story, what I see in this story, is that great faith tears down all walls of separation great faith tears down all walls of separation this isn't the only place in the Gospels where Jesus looks at someone and says, Your faith has made you well. It is not a work that they are doing on their own. It is their faith in him and in his ability. The woman knew who Jesus was and knew what he was capable of and would not stop pursuing him because she knew that he could bring her healing, that he was the only one that could bring her daughter healing, the only one who could make things right. And so she kept pursuing. And that kind of faith, Jesus says here into the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, And countless others throughout scripture. Many we probably don't even have the stories of. We get to hear about a great faith. A great faith in Christ that makes all divisions fade away. That makes all separations, all walls of separation, most importantly, that separation between us and Christ, between us and the forgiveness that God has to offer through Jesus Christ alone, it brings it all down. Our faithful response, a gift that God gives us to respond to the offering that Jesus allows us to have. God, our great faith, tears down all walls of separation. This is not our own work, but our confidence in the work of Jesus Christ. In great faith, if you haven't noticed, great faith in Jesus is needed now, today. Again, don't miss the details of this story. As Gentile as a person can get, this woman was, a Canaanite. And not only that, but as we deal with in every story that we're looking at in this series, she was a woman. So by society standards, she was doubly an outsider. Wandering around in the wilderness, in the area around Tyrant Sidon. we don't really know why. And she comes to Jesus in need. At first, he echoes at least the thought processes of the day and tells her why at least the people around him at least the way that things looked, that she was unworthy, that she was a dog, and she didn't deserve the bread. Only the children got it. But she understood deeper, and Jesus was able to teach the disciples and us through this story the reality that even the dogs get to come inside God's house, that even those who are worthless get to be counted worthy. Stop for a moment and realize there may be some of you, I don't know, it's possible that there's some of you in here with like legit Jewish heritage, but most of you are probably Gentiles, Gentiles of Gentiles. I know I've done the whole ancestry thing. I know I'm, I'm, I'm Gentile, Gentile. I'm Irish, British, German, uh, and other European. I'm Gentile, Gentile. I know that for a fact. And so I am who they would have included in this day, the dogs, those who were grasping for food, for crumbs. And Jesus says to her, to us, Through her, to every Gentile believer, to every person who has ever been on the outside looking in, your faith, your great faith can make you well. Church, we we are in the midst of a situation in our world, in our churches, in our homes, in our country, in the entire globe where we are more divided than we have ever been. Do you know what the one thing that can fix that is? It's not the way you're going to vote here in a little bit or again next year, next November. It's not the policies that people in charge are going to pass. It's not some, some great social awakening. All of those things can be a part of that, and God can use all of those movements. But the one thing that is going to break down every dividing wall in the name of Jesus Christ is great faith in the person of Jesus. Where a Canaanite woman can be seen as a child of God rather than a dog. Without Jesus, we're all a bunch of dogs. But with him, we are children of God. And the one thing that makes that so for us, for you, for me, for every dog in this world is a great faith in Jesus Christ. And I look forward to the day. Oh, I long for the day. When I will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty with people who look different than me, with people who talk different than me, with people who thought a lot different than me when I was on this planet. When I can sing with them and worship with them and bow down at the foot of Christ forever and ever and ever. Why? Because we share a great faith and the only one who can save and mend and heal and unite That's why I view this woman as a heroic one. Not because there's anything particularly heroic about her, other than her faith in Christ. Where she was unwilling, she knew what he was capable of, she wasn't going to walk away. May we have that same dedication in a divided world and focus on the God, the only one who can unite. May we have great faith. And see God heal again today. During our time of invitation this morning, I encourage anyone here who does not know Christ personally as Savior. I would encourage you in this moment that God has extended to you through Jesus and through his Holy Spirit. Faith for you to exercise. Belief in him that can change everything about you. You will no longer be on the outside looking in, but you can be amongst those on the inside enjoying the fruits of the Spirit of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And for those of you who do know Christ as Savior, may you be reminded every time you encounter division in your own world or the world around you, may you be reminded that Jesus, and great faith in Jesus, is the antidote to that. The one thing that we can all share that can tear all of that down. If you need to pray about this or anything else, I'll be here to do that with you this morning. Let's stand together.